0: Welcome to Let's Not, I'm Sam and I'm Michelle. Some, something's just missing, you know? <laughs> oh my
1: god. <laughs> Every time.
0: <laughs> Every time. Welcome back to another episode. We're here. We were just playing with Zoom uh, backgrounds. Immersive theater. Yeah, kind of took us back into COVID phase
1: one times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish they had that back then because maybe it would have been more enjoyable to be around. Maybe. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. It would have lost its luster really quick.
0: Oh, yeah, real quick. So guys, this week we are bringing you one of your favorite types of episodes that you seem to enjoy listening to,
1: and we are talking true crime this week. Mhm. Mhm. I'm I'm like excited. Because I can't wait to hear like your version of things, Mm -hmm. Um, but we're kind of continuing on from our last true crime episode where I had mentioned Israel Keys. So I'm going to be talking about that, and Sam's going to actually be talking about BTK Dennis Mm -hmm. Rader. Dennis um, Rader, yep. Which I've asked her about before because Sam hails from Wichita, Kansas, and was how old were you when he popped up again? (laughs) I was in high school every single time I see a documentary and like knowing that he did all that horrific shit back in the 70s 80s and then in 2000 he comes back up again yeah and it's just like hey guys I'm still here I'm alive like how terrifying that must have been to live in the city oh I know yeah
0: it was I'll get into it but yeah it's pretty crazy um although like when I was kind of looking into everything because there were some things that I forgot about Mm -hmm. this guy I was like oh I miss little Wichita good little yeah yeah but anyway um Israel keys (laughs) that who Michelle is going over like guys she talked about Israel on our last up, well, briefly, but anyways, we had Mm -hmm. a conversation outside of the podcast and she told me to look him up and I did. And I immediately was regretting the decision of looking into him. Like
1: he is scary. Yeah. He scares me. His, his, uh, MO scares me. Mm -hmm. Cause I feel like that's the fact that we now know that he exists makes me think of like all the people that we don't know that do the same thing. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And it's like, just think of all the people that supposedly go missing or something bad happens, but no one ever knows. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, even though technology has come such a long way to where more, I don't even know what the chances are of finding the killer. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, it still happens. And what if it's just that one time That someone's killing someone but it's like Mm -hmm. 500 people just killing doing that one kill then moving on with their life yes
1: yeah I always get that way about like and I don't mean to disparage like a whole fucking career but like like uh long-haul truckers Mm. because there's been a few of them that have turned out to be serial killers but it's like Mm. or like a traveling salesman those people that just are constantly moving and if you're here, you do something, and then you're just gone, and there's no way to connect you to it, I feel like it's a higher probability that you'll get away with it forever, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: But first, we're going to talk about what we did this weekend, and Michelle and I actually hung out.
1: (laughs) We did. Look at that.
0: I had already forgotten that. Like, it feels like it was three weeks ago.
1: I know. I know. We've been really catching up since we went for such a long period without seeing each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Now we're making up for time. Yes. Um, but we got breakfast together at a, at a cute little spot. hmm Mm-hmm. Very homey, very like uh country. Mm-hmm. Is that rude to say? No. Okay. Like think like the
0: vibe that Cracker Barrel tries to go for, mm-hmm. but it's like it's the authentic. Like, yeah, like country diner, mm-hmm. cozy, yeah, cottagey.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's really sweet. They have a very—I like the fact that they have like a super limited menu. Mm-hmm. A little bit easier to like pick something. Yep. Um, and then we went to this huge outdoor flea market that just started this week, this past weekend. There were a few things I wanted to buy, but I didn't
0: have cash on me, so mm-hmm. so <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> so I didn't. What did you get? You I got, got a little. Stuff. You got a little pig.
1: Yeah, I got a little cast iron pig um just cuz i really like pigs and jake drew me no jake painted me like these two little pigs with spots on them and it looked exactly like that so mm-hmm. i bought it for him but kind of for me
0: yeah cuz <laughs> apparently pigs are like michelle's love language now i love pigs they're pretty cute yeah it
1: all started do you know how that started no it started with dottie so really? yeah that doesn't so- surprise me no, um, Jake, Jake used to call her a pig. Um, But it like it was in a funny way where he'd be like, oh, you pig. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just like made me laugh and stuff. And then eventually he started calling me a pig, which you would uh. think I would get offended by that, but I didn't. I mm-hmm. loved it. Yeah. Um, so now I fucking love pigs and I love How being sweet. a pig. They're so cute. You should get a little pig tattoo. You and Jake can do matching. I know. Pig tattoos. I said that I did want it and then also like I didn't even connect it back then but I feel like the reason I loved it so much is like my favorite stuffed animal growing up that I still have is a little stuffed pig called Arnold um he's in my closet right now but he was my best friend for a long time so I guess I always loved pigs
0: yeah I get apparently
1: why don't you have him out like on your bed um because so he's he's so fucking cute but he has like the like those beans in his um hooves, like the beans that make them a little bit heavier, and mm-hmm. Ichabod just thrashes him. Oh my god! So um, he has like pulled some stuffing out and like some of the fur out. So I I put him away. Oh, also I don't know if I mentioned it, but Dottie got her little fucking haircut already. Yeah, th- and if summer. you're not
0: following Dottie, Ichabod, and Dottie on Instagram, mm-hmm.
1: what are you doing with your life? For real. So she's shaved and she looks about 20 pounds lighter. Gosh. She looks so fucking tiny when she doesn't have hair. She looks like a little grandma. She's so cute. I love her so much. You
0: should put like a little like granny sweater on her, like a little shawl. She would look so cute.
1: Oh, yeah. She has like her little pink turtleneck, but I want to get her some more clothes. Mm hmm. You know what would be cute? You know, those like throws that your grandma used to have that are like the squares, but Mm -hmm. they have like the flowers inside the crocheted ones. Mm -hmm. And and you know how they've been starting to make like dresses and cardigans out of them? Yeah. I think one of those would be really cute. That would be cute. Yeah. That'd be really cute.
0: And also it was Jake's birthday. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So Monday was Jake's birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm only sighing because I fucked up and I forgot to make him a cake and it was a whole thing about how I forgot and how I make them for literally everybody else and how I didn't make one for him. And I blame Sam because she didn't even remind mm. me this weekend. What was I thinking? Um, but anyway, we got through it. We got over it. Um, we went out breakfast. It was a breakfast. busy weekend, though. He was away, so yeah, <laughs> I'm like still justifying everything. <laughs> he was away well the thing is like a I truly did not think about it at all so I mean I'm just giving excuses after the fact but it was only going to be the two of us and we're going out for dinner so it's just like you know I make cakes for parties yeah I make
0: cakes for important people
1: don't say it he's gonna cry (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna gonna cry cry, Jake (laughs) you're gonna cry Um, but yeah, we went out for breakfast and then we went for a hike because that's what he wanted to do on his birthday. (laughs) Clearly you did not want to do that. Yeesh. It just wouldn't be my first choice. Um,
0: Don't you have fun being outside and like
1: just feeling nature? I love it. Yeah. Mm Yeah. It is nice. And then his brother and his girlfriend came up for dinner.
0: So it was nice. What did I do? I just hung out with Michelle. Mm,
1: Best weekend ever.
0: Yeah really it really was the drive wasn't stressful I kept telling Joe I was like I keep forgetting I have plans with Michelle because I'm just not used to having plans yeah well with you um on the weekend (laughs) so I'm not important enough but it's fine um so I kept forgetting I was like I'm gonna fucking forget that I'm supposed to meet Michelle so I had to like put it in my phone I wrote my little post-it note on the bathroom because I was worried
1: I was like if I fucking forget I'll Mm -hmm. never hear the end of it no, and I didn't even tell you. But that morning when I woke you up, I, no, 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 I didn't forget. <laughs> but I almost canceled. Really? Yeah. How come? Just because I, I was like, you know, I would have been fine. No, I know you would have been fine. You would probably been like, oh, sweet. Um, like, but yeah, I
0: get to stay in
1: bed. <laughs> I don't have no. to change my underwear or brush my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I was still on the tail end of like a sickness, and you know how sometimes when you wake up, you feel a lot worse than when you just stand up, and then immediately mm. like half of it goes away. So I just like woke up all congested and stuff. I was like, oh, this sucks. I don't want to do anything. Aww. And then as soon as I like got up to use the bathroom, like everything dripped into my stomach. And then yeah. I felt fine. <laughs> that sounds so gross. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say everything dripped out of my asshole. So it was fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not that gross yet. But
0: <laughs> well, thanks for not canceling. But if you did, I would have understood. Also, uh, Michelle and I were messaging each other last night and we were talking about how we watched all these videos, listened to all these things. And we were just not writing anything
1: down mm-hmm. about like with our research. No, and you <laughs> did it last night at the crack of midnight and I did yeah. it this morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It did. It does make it easier. Cause like, obviously, as I'm like actually looking at articles and I'm able to like just write from memory because I know it at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think it makes it easier, but I could easily also be taking notes while I'm watching and listening. See,
0: I was thinking that I was like, the more I hear like my brain's Mm -hmm. just going to absorb it and it'll be fine. And then I can kind of write it down like on the last thing that I watched just to recap. And then I can write little notes of other things that I heard, yeah, yeah. See how it goes. Yeah. (laughs) Trigger warning. We're going to be talking about obviously murder, Mm -hmm. um, animal killings,
1: rape rape, on my
0: end. Yeah. Yeah. Rape. So if you're sensitive to that stuff, like maybe this episode isn't for you, and Mm -hmm. we'll catch you next week. All right, guys. So I'm going to be talking about Dennis Rader, also known as BTK. You know, people say that he's like one of the most known serial killers.
1: Yeah, I think he definitely is. I guess like Bundy.
0: Yeah, I guess just like back in the day when it was when he came back out, Mm -hmm. I wasn't realizing how big it was at the time. I mean, it was huge in Kansas, but yeah, it's always interesting, especially since um, like since I've moved here and made some friends and like how you mentioned you saw something about BTK. So you were asking me about it. Like anytime any of Joe's friends watches BTK, anything, they always message me and they're like, what was this like? Like, do you remember when he came back and resurfaced? Like, what did you think? And I'm like, it is kind of, it's wild to think about because in my head, like I knew that he was in Wichita, which is where I'm originally from. Mm -hmm. And I lived there all my life until I moved here to Massachusetts Uh, for anyone who didn't know that. But um, I thought it was kind of like in Park City, which was another town in Kansas. And so I didn't realize, like, it was just in the dead middle of Wichita. And so I think my mom kind of lied to me because she knew that I was afraid. That makes sense. But rehearing everything, I'm like, Mom, yeah, he could have killed me. Uh huh. Uh
1: huh. know but it's like literally like halloween h2o where he's back you know oh my gosh like,
0: wow oh. i didn't even think-
1: oh that's really creepy oh
0: okay so i'm probably gonna go back and forth of calling him dennis calling him raider and calling him btk i'll try to keep it the same but i'll probably yeah yeah of course how i wrote my note. so dennis was born on march 9th 1945 so what that makes him uh what's joe of pisces i think mm. we don't like that <laughs> <laughs> all right um but he was one of four sons to his parents william and dorothy raider He was born in Pittsburgh, Kansas, but raised in Wichita, Kansas, where he would later go on a killing spree. He graduated from Heights High School, which was in Wichita. Like, it's so crazy. Like, I remember Heights was one of our, what do you call it? rivals like oh yeah, yeah. That I went it's just so weird thinking about yeah um and then after he graduated from Heights he attended Wichita State which was like one of the main colleges that everyone went off to but at the age of 21 he decided to drop out and join the air force he spent the next 4 years being a mechanic he wanted to finish his degree finally he ended up Going to different schools, but for whatever reason, he just wouldn't ever stay in the same college. Like he would go there for a little bit and then Mm -hmm. switch, just switch it up. Like it wasn't, he never stayed at the same school. He graduated with a degree in administration of justice. Dennis worked a few jobs, like at the local grocery store. And then one of his jobs that he, is known for later on was he worked for adt do you guys have adt up here in massachusetts michelle is that like a yeah the security system yeah yeah um so he was installing security systems which is really crazy because there was a spike in security systems being placed around wichita because people at the time were afraid of a killer And meanwhile, it's him installing these security Mm -hmm. systems. Isn't that wild to think about? Like this man is in your house and you're like, oh, please install this. So the killer doesn't get me. So in 1971, Dennis married Paula Dietz. They had two kids named Carrie and Brian. It would be decades until people learned what Dennis was hiding. It was later discovered that Dennis felt neglected by his mother but that was about it. He didn't really have like a awful childhood. It was just, he felt kind of ignored and neglected. Nothing
1: traumatic. Yeah.
0: Nothing traumatic out of the blue. As he got older, he started having urges of sexual fantasies. He would cut out female forms of like magazines and catalogs, and he would start drawing ropes and different types of bondage on these photos. And then he would glue these photos onto index cards. Oh, I know. As a teen, he would start to spy on women. He became aroused. When seeing animals being killed, he would watch chickens being slaughtered, and for some reason this turned him on. So then he started hurting animals himself. He hung a cat, and then he also killed a dog. There is a show on A&E. came out this January. They did four Yay. episodes on Dennis Rader. He was talking to... um She was an author of a few books, but she was also into like crime psychology and she was a doctor. And so they built this relationship. So he would later do these interviews and kind of talk about uh, where he was in his life at these certain points. And so it's a really good show to watch. So like he talked about that he enjoyed being tied up and he also enjoyed being spanked. You know, they always say there's two different types of serial killers, like one that just wants to do it for the attention and then one that is just, like, really smart mm-hmm. and they don't really want to get – like, their goal is not to get caught at all.
1: No, they they like to kill, so they don't mm-hmm. want to stop, you know? Dennis
0: Rader, like, he had all of these code words. It, he was such a smart, intelligent guy. Like, mm. he, his brain just worked like a jigsaw puzzle. It was so – I don't want to say interesting, but I mean, it was interesting just to Mm -hmm. hear him talk about things. When he talks about the Codex, this is what he refers to when he talks about his crimes. And then when he talks about his victims, he uses the word projects. He also referred to the violence and darkness in himself. And he would call this the Minotaur. So he thought using this terminology was special he thought that this made him stand out and that he wasn't the average killer like it just mm-hmm. made him feel like he was better than all of the killers before cool achievement bro i know um so of course with killers you know he was obviously a narcissist he thought mm-hmm. that his way of killing his way of thinking was nothing like we had seen before. So Dennis tried to play out his fantasies with sex workers. The women usually thought it was too much. He started breaking into houses and he would steal women's underwear. So January 15th, 1974 was his first attack. He targeted an entire family, the Otero family. The parents were Joseph and Julie. He snuck into the house around 8.30 in the morning. One of the youngest kids had, they we're going outside to go off to school and Dennis was in the yard. And when the young kid goes out, Dennis had a gun. And so he tells the kid to go back into the house. So they both walk back into the house. Mm. Um, he tells the family that he's just there to rob them and nothing else will happen. If he listened, if they listen to him, the adults are complying, trying to protect themselves and their family. Dennis ends up putting the parents into the bedroom Um, He ends up tying them up. He ties them up with a rope and suffocates them with plastic bags. He also killed the kids with how he was with his murders because he would also take photos and pose these people and take photos. And with the bondage and stuff, he never sexually assaulted any of his victims. Oh. Yeah, he would get off on them and there there would be his DNA, like his- stuff that he would just leave on the the crime scene. How this family, how the murder of this family was found out was their 15 year old son was not home at the time that his whole family was being murdered. And so he comes home from school and just finds his family.
1: Was he like a suspect?
0: no no No? that's good yeah the police didn't think that this murder was part of a spree or anything they just thought it was a random thing and maybe that they owed someone money three months later after that Catherine bright she was a 21 year old woman this was april 4th 1974 dennis ends up breaking into her apartment while she's gone Catherine came back with her brother and Dennis was waiting in the apartment with a gun. Dennis made Kevin tie up his sister and then Dennis tied Kevin up. He ended up stabbing Catherine three times. Her brother, Kevin, ended up escaping. He was Mm -hmm. shot once um, but he was able to try to go get help and tell the police. And so by the time that they came back, they tried to save Catherine, but she died at the hospital. Um, yeah. So her brother did survive this attack. Yeah. At the time, with it being so close to the O'Terror family being murdered, they still hadn't connected it. They were just like, it's two separate killings. Oh, wow. Then this was nine months after the first killing. This was... October, 1974, Dennis ends up contacting the Wichita Eagle, which is a paper in Wichita. He told them about a book at the local library. And he said, pretty much like, you'll find your killer in this book. Mm. So they go to read the letter and he wanted credit for the crimes. And I guess that there were three other people in the area that said that they were the ones doing the killing. And he was like... Telling the police like who you have is not who is killing these people. Like, don't
1: let them claim my work, pretty much. Yeah. Which is so crazy because it's like, oh, somebody else is taking the fall fall for this. I can keep going. Mm -hmm. March 17th,
0: 1977, Dennis ends up attacking 26 year old Shirley Van in her home. She was there with her three children. So, with this one, he said that he was there to work on her phone. And so, Shirley ends up letting him in. He's pretending to be working on this phone and she's keeping an eye on her kids, also keeping an eye on him. And the moment that she looks at her kids, that's when he tries to attack her. So he ends up telling her that he's not going to hurt the kids and that he's going to lock them in the closet. It was different with this one. He actually didn't hurt the kids. He just oh. kept them in the closet. He tied up her hands and feet, strangled her with a cord around her neck, and there was a bag over her head. So with this one, the crime scene was similar to the Oterrors. So this is how they realized that it's the same killer. Like they started realizing. realize that there's Mm -hmm. some things in common they realize that it's around the same time they realize that there's the same knots with the ropes and the bondage and that the phone lines were both cut
1: was like the knots and the ties used at the brother and sister duo because like there was no bag or anything found I'm sure but I'm sure he maybe tied her up the same way or him up the same way
0: yeah um so he had her brother tie her up. Oh, okay. So yep. I'm assuming, so I guess maybe the knots, maybe not so much because, um, since the brother did the knots, it wouldn't be the same. Mm. And then her brother got away. But if he yeah. would have been killed, I'm sure that the knots would have been. Seen yeah. yeah, yeah. Dennis did, you know? Uh, so this was the same year. This was December 8th. So, his next victim was 25 year old Nancy Fox. He broke through her window and he ended up strangling her with her stockings. And for some reason he ended up calling this in like he called 911. And he was like, there's been a homicide at the address that he was at. I think this was like not in the area so he wanted to make sure that they could kind of tie it with the other murders Mm -hmm. because he was worried that since it wasn't in his normal area and he wanted to make sure that the cops would kind of tie it with the other ones he's such a loser dude it's like so much it's like how does your brain even work like that no like just all the details and just like how he's tying all the literally all the loose knots like it's mm-hmm. just he's like weaving in and out of everything just to pull it all together this was the following year he wrote to the police and he said how many do I have to kill before I get a name in the paper or some national recognition he also included in the letter that there were seven people killed not six because I think at the time it was just being um published that there were six killings. For the next eight years, Dennis decides to kind of take a backseat to his killings. You know, he's busy raising his kids. He just didn't have time to juggle it. God, it's just like fishing. Like he didn't have time to juggle his killings. Yeah. Like I've... I felt gross saying that. Okay, so BTK selects his next victim, and this was April 28th, 1979. He ends up breaking into Anna's home, and he decides to wait for her until she comes back. So he's waiting there for a really long time, starts becoming impatient decides to leave because she's taking way too long to come back home so then later on Anna gets a package to her house and it's a fucking box with one of her scarves in it with Mm -hmm. a note that said be glad you weren't here because I was if she would have been home in his time window he would have killed her Mm -hmm. can you imagine
1: I would have moved immediately
0: okay so we're around the 1980s so With all of the letters coming in, the police department decides to form a task force. They have about, uh, they have hundreds of suspects. They finally narrow it down to no one. Case becomes quiet. Dennis stops writing the letters. Not much has really happened. So most of the people in the area thought he may have died. They thought maybe he was disabled. Maybe he was arrested for something else and just in jail. So he was unable to do his killings or maybe he moved out of Kansas fast forward. Dennis has been an active member of his church. He's a compliance officer. So pretty much he's able to tell people like when they need to mow their yard, when they need to paint their house, kind of like an animal control officer as well. Okay. So we're in 1985 and then now Dennis decides to go after his neighbor. He didn't claim this murder until much, much later after Mm -hmm. he had been caught. He was so worried that since it was so close to his home, he wasn't going to take credit for it because he didn't want to be caught just yet. So with his neighbor, he ends up strangling her. And after he kills her, he decides to take her to his church. He then poses her body in different bondage positions. He takes photos and then he leaves her body in a ditch on a dirt road. So then September 16th, 1986, he ends up strangling Vicky Weggerall, who was found in her home strangled by her nylon stockings. So he would just, and I remember like being in high school when I heard about him, my mom would just always tell me like how he would just strangle all these women with the tights that they were wearing. I'm like,
1: Yeah. Literally, as you said that, I was like, "I'm so glad I don't have like a drawer full of pantyhose right now." I know, you know what I mean. Like yeah. that used to be a thing. I used to remember going into my mom's yeah. drawers all the time, and her full top drawer just so many every shade of pantyhose. Yeah.
0: Here we are in January. This is 1999, and this is Dennis's final murder that he commits. Dolores Davis, he ends up, he ends up strangling her. And then he took her body and just dropped it underneath a bridge somewhere. 14 years pass by in this whole time. Like Dennis has been quiet. Case has gone cold At the time, there was an article that was being published, and this was 30 years after the Oteros were murdered. And the headline was something about saying um, that Kansas students no longer remember the name BTK. Oh, God. So, I mean, as as I'm sure you've already guessed with how Dennis is wanting media attention, wanting all the acknowledgement, this is March 2004 when this headline came out. So, he decides to send a letter and he claims the credit for the murder of Vicky. And he sends a copy of her driver's license. He also sends a few photos of how he had her body posed and everything to show, like, I'm still out here. You guys aren't mm-hmm. safe. And let me tell you, like all of Kansas immediately lost their shit. Like everyone yeah. thought he was, you know, dead, gone, moved on, arrested, in jail, whatever. Everyone thought they were just safe. But with how sick he is, just mm-hmm. him writing that letter and like sending it and knowing that it was going to be like this massive wave throughout the state, mm-hmm. he probably got so, Ugh turned on by it like oh yeah 100 so now the police are like freaking out thinking that bt kill btk is about to kill again i just remember my mom telling me about him because i saw it on the news and i remember we were like in the living room and i'm like who is this and it was just so scary to see on tv they started implementing curfews and mm-hmm. i was like mom how did i never hear about this guy and she would tell me stories she was like oh i remember this and i remember that And I was so afraid. I was like, what if he kills me? Like, yeah, I really thought I was like, he could be out anywhere and I would never know. And my mom would try to say like, oh, well, he's at the age now to where he probably couldn't hurt you. And I don't even remember how old he was at that time. But I was like, yeah, I guess I would have a chance to fight away to fight from him. When I was looking at all the videos and especially like his confession hearing, like It's so bizarre to watch because he's just so calm and he literally Mm -hmm. gives all the details. And it's just like him, it's just like me telling you how I'm solving a problem, like well, I couldn't figure this out. So I decided to mm-hmm. go ahead and do it this way. And then, you know, the thing was giving me a hard time. So then I, it's just like, so monotone. It's just so glazed over. Yeah. Um. But I, but seeing him, I'm like, he definitely could have killed someone. Like he wasn't this old frigid little no. man. Like he was super tall. Like he still could have had some strength, but yeah, I just remember I was afraid to stay out past a certain time. Like all of the like women were scared and it was mm-hmm. just, ugh, it was so
1: weird. I just don't understand how like a curfew would be helpful if he's only breaking in like at dawn, you know, yeah. like, I mean, I guess because they were like,
0: we don't know what he's doing. Does he yeah. have some, and they were like, does he have someone that's helping him? Like they were thinking of all these possible scenarios wow. that could have happened. So they were like, which attends beware. Mhm. Mm-hmm. btk started writing the letters again like there were just so many letters going back and forth between him and the police station so of course because he's wanting all of this attention he thinks he's so special he becomes too cocky he ends up asking the police in a letter and he's like <laughs> what
1: i just love the way he gets caught because it's like oh you think you're so fucking smart well, you're not. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> you're an idiot.
0: So he ends up asking the police if a floppy disk could be traced back. And of course, the police lie to him. It's like, why would s- you think? Yeah, You're smart. What are you talking about? They end up getting this floppy disk that he mailed in. And of course, they trace it back. And they were able to recover the metadata. And it directed them to a church and this church was the church that Dennis Rader went to.
1: I just I recently saw something on BTK and I remember it even saying that it was like in the metadata it said the author was Dennis and so they had a name and like a location. And the location. (laughs) (laughs) Idiot
0: with him leaving his DNA at all the crime scenes, they were still able to test that. So they obtained a subpoena for his daughter Carrie Rawson and compared his DNA To her DNA. So of course the DNA matched. They ended up pulling him over February 25th of 2005. So this was like a year later Mm -hmm. when he announced that he was still around. And it's still a thing that he is still shocked that the police lied to him about the floppy disk. (laughs) Every person who interviews him, they were like, why would you think that the police were on your side? Why would you think that they wouldn't lie to you? And he's like, well, scouts code, like you just don't do that.
1: Okay, I'm sorry, Dennis, but you also lied to your victims and said you're just there to rob them. And then you fucking murdered them Mm -hmm. and killed their whole family. So you are also a fucking liar.
0: (laughs) So the trial went relatively smoothly. He confessed to all 10 killings. He was served 10 consecutive life sentences. So he's just in the prison in El Dorado, Kansas. He's still alive. He's still alive. Yeah. His daughter ended up writing a book about, mm-hmm. and I don't, what do you think? Cause there was an interview that I saw of her on Dr. Phil and how like people just, they're like, you shouldn't be writing this book. You should be dying. Like you're not a victim. And you know, she does call herself a victim. Cause she was like, I found that yeah. like my dad is this yeah. huge murder and she kept quiet all of this time. Like she didn't mm-hmm. talk to any news reporters, anything. From what I can tell, it's not even about any of the murders. She doesn't talk about the families. It's just her experience of how her dad was because she Mm -hmm. was a daddy's girl. Like they were close. She had no idea that he was doing any of this stuff.
1: No, and I feel like her story is important and you never know. Somebody could be reading that and even though she didn't put it all together, somebody could be reading that and being like, oh, my dad also did certain things like this. You know, like you don't know what that could trigger for somebody else.
0: Yeah, and she's even said that. She's like, I'm sharing my story because Mm -hmm. there's not enough information, enough like education to know if there is a murderer in your family before it happens. Like what are the Mm -hmm. signs? What are the flags before? She talks about how he still writes her, like especially around her wedding anniversary. And he'll say like, happy anniversary. And he writes her, he draws her little pictures and stuff, but she's just like, yeah, I'm scared of him. Like he murdered all of these people. Like it's never going. Yeah. To, yeah. You know,
1: I find it hard to believe that you can compartmentalize that much where these people that you murdered are people that are allowed to be murdered, but you would never do that to your own family. I feel like if you, if somebody like Dennis Rader was put in the position. He would be capable of murdering his whole, like his own his own family.
0: Mm -hmm. That show on A and E, the woman who has kind of built this trusting relationship with him to ask him all these questions. She was Mm -hmm. like, "Well, wouldn't you be mad if someone came in to kill your wife and killed your kids? Like, Mm -hmm. what? How would that make you feel?" And he's like, "Oh, my world would be like. I would be devastated. I would be so like, you know. It's just it is so. He called it cubing. How he would." compartmentalize everything
1: yeah yeah
0: they found like all of these photos of him where he would dress up in women's clothing and he would put his body like in the bondage tie himself up yeah yeah. in positions of like as if he was like one of the dead bodies and he that's what he got off on he even mentioned he's like oh rape like I would never do that like that's the
1: most Mm -hmm. awful thing you could do and they're like you're killing these people I wonder if like he did find some I mean like I feel like in this day and age like you can find somebody that's into those fetishes and I Mm -hmm. wonder if somebody was a willing participant to do that with him Mm -hmm. and spank him and do all the things that he liked if that would like assuage some of this need to kill Mm mm-hmm I don't know. I I mean, they could yeah, be two I completely mean, different things, you know.
0: You know, yeah. You you don't know, so it is interesting to bring it up
1: because you know, back in the seventies, yeah, I believe mm-hmm. it like so you different would never be able to even say anything like mm-hmm. that. But I always hope that there obviously is room for rehabilitation, but also room to stop it before it gets to that point. Like if people aren't being smothered into like this box of how they're supposed to be and stuff, and they don't have an outlet. And for some reason, and I think it's more of a masculine thing where you just have all this aggression and stuff. And so Mm -hmm. it turns into something more violent. But I wonder if, you had an outlet for that that wasn't fucking murder or if you Mm -hmm. were able to be your true self that if that just doesn't even come around
0: i know at least it happened once maybe twice where his wife walked in while he was dressed up she would just say like i don't ever want to see this again or we're leaving
1: i don't know i'm not giving him a pass at all but no
0: of course it's just yeah it's just talking about like all the what ifs going Mm -hmm. down like so like if the road would have been a little different, like what could have happened? Yeah. yeah.
1: At the end of the day, it just all sucks that fucking people had to lose their lives for no obviously reason whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. There's surprisingly a lot of similarities, but then also a lot of differences between him and Israel. Mm -hmm. I guess you were like talking through it. I was like, Oh, Israel too. Israel too. And it's Mm -hmm. just like, but it's funny because I did read. So Israel really looked up to Ted Bundy um but for some oh he called btk a wimp oh like during one of his like interviews uh because btk apologized and had quote-unquote remorse for the killings Mm. i'm just like and but i doubt he did (laughs) yeah but yeah i thought it was interesting that they actually like he actually talked about btk Mm -hmm. so i start off with israel keys on actually his last murder and the reason why he was caught um i didn't write too much down about his childhood but i do remember a lot of it so Mm -hmm. i might go into it later on february 1st 2012 samantha koenig was finishing up her shift at the common grounds coffee stand in downtown anchorage alaska the young barista was approached by a man wearing a ski mask who ordered coffee this man turns out to be israel keys Um, and just to go back to like the common grounds coffee stand, it's almost like, it's like the size of a food truck, but it's like a stationary hut. It's like on the ground, it's not movable, but it literally is just like this tiny little thing that serves coffee, Mm -hmm. which we don't have a lot of those in this area, but I guess they are pretty common in other parts of America. After Samantha hands him his order, he pulls out a gun and demands money. And while she's at the cash register, he climbs in through like the small ordering window. He then zip ties her. She actually manages to break away before they get in the car. But unfortunately, he was able to subdue her and threaten to kill her if she tried it for a second time. Keys then proceeded to drive around town with Samantha, explaining that this was simply a kidnapping for ransom and that if she cooperated, she would be returned to her family unharmed. At one point, he actually drives back to the coffee stand because she left her cell phone behind. And -hmm. his plan was to, like, text her family members for the ransom. So just like a half an hour after kidnapping her, he, like, goes back to the scene of the crime with her in the car still. So he definitely not has a lot of balls, but is confident, cocky. So he gets her cell phone from the coffee stand. He uses it to send a fake text message to her boyfriend, who was supposed to be picking her up after her shift. The text said, Hey, I'm spending a couple of days with friends. Let my dad know. He then takes Samantha to his property where he ties her up in his shed and rapes her. Inside of his house, his longtime girlfriend and young daughter are sleeping. So, do we know how old his daughter is? At this point, she's, I think she's like definitely under the age of like eight, like young, like maybe six. It didn't give her like an age, but I know she's like under the age of, yeah, like 10, you know? Um,
0: I'm just curious is the girlfriend the mom of the daughter or this is the daughter? Okay. I'm sorry, but yeah, just this is happening like, this is happening like what, 15 feet away from their house, if that.
1: Okay. So I'm going to send you a picture right now because. Oh, don't send me the picture of how close the shed is. I'm going to send you pictures throughout. But because like before this, I had only listened to a podcast about it. So Mm -hmm. when they said that he tied her up in the shed, I'm thinking like my shed where it's like set back in the backyard, Mm -hmm. away from the house and stuff. The shed is so fucking close to their house. I actually put a red box around it too, because there's two things that look like a shed. It's legitimately like where a garage would be attached to your house.
0: (gasps) Oh my God, Michelle.
1: Yes. So the shed's located at the front of the house. Legitimately oh like maybe like five feet o- away from the living room window. So after multiple assaults, he demands Samantha's debit card only to find out that she doesn't have it. It's actually in her boyfriend's truck. What do you think he does? Um, Ask the boyfriend to drop it off. Close. He actually demands the address of where the truck would be located and he drives over to get it.
0: Like he's just going to show up to pick up the card. He's going to show up as himself.
1: He's going to show up. And break into her boyfriend's car to retrieve her debit card. For
0: what?
1: Because this is his plan.
0: Just don't use the debit card. Yeah.
1: But this is what's so crazy. It's like, really, you're going to go and, like, further put yourself in a a place where you can get caught?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And what's even crazier, in a heartbreaking twist, while stealing the debit card, he's actually confronted by Samantha's boyfriend yes so samantha's boyfriend's already freaked out because he had gone to pick up samantha she's not there she's he's already received this vague text that he knows is not from her um and he's already shown the text to her father they've already like involved the cops and stuff so he actually sees israel keys trying to break in his truck runs back inside and like calls the cops oh my gosh um he obviously did not put two and two together he thought they were like two separate unrelated events Mm -hmm. and israel managed to get the debit card from his truck and returns back to his house after he gets the debit card he stops at an atm to make sure that the pin that samantha had given him actually works goes back home and he strangles her to death in the shed he places her body in a cupboard like in the shed and then leaves the next day on a pre-planned vacation with his family for two and a half weeks. And they, where do they go, Michelle? They go on a Disney cruise. <laughs> a cruise. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's a Disney cruise, but I feel like I read that somewhere. The absolute goal of this fan to go back to the coffee stand, go to the, uh, yeah. the guy's truck, and then leave her body at his house for two and a half weeks. Like, in my head... The whole two and a half weeks that I'd be gone, I'd be like, what if they're searching my house right now?
0: What if a neighbor comes by, Mm -hmm. they're outside? Yep. They
1: might smell something. Smell something. What if, like, you know, anything? Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is 2012. So there are like surveillance cameras around. This isn't before that time. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. he really, truly did not even think that he would get caught or didn't care, I guess. And I feel like he didn't care because this is. This is the last murder that he committed and also the reason he gets caught and everything about this murder is completely the opposite of how he conducted anything before this. Like before he never went near his house, like Mm -hmm. it was always very far away. He never like, like killed in his own area He never reached out to people like with text and stuff like that. So he's already like doing a lot of things that are different. So do you
0: think like, has he said, because I I feel like I watched or I listened to that episode you told me about where Mm -hmm. he like talks about everything. Was he just wanting something new? Was he trying something new? Like, do we know why?
1: No, um, he never says like why he did it. I think my personal opinion, because, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I've said it yet, but Israel Keys is only 34 years old when he's caught. And I really feel like the thirties is usually like the height of serial killers, like Mm -hmm. late twenties to early forties before they decide like they're not agile enough or they start a family. Like there's always like a lot of factors that stop them if they're not caught. Um, so I think he was really just gearing up. And I think that you know, traveling and doing all these things. I think he just needed to do it Mm. and he just kind of went and did it and didn't think about it. And I think that's what actually like fucked him over during the time that he is on this cruise. A massive hunt is underway to find Samantha. Her father, James Koenig sets up vigils, rewards. He's demanding his daughter back across multiple media channels. Her father, I was just like, I was like crying watching him because like you can just tell he fucking loved his daughter so much. You know, it's not even a thing where like it's even the plausibility that maybe she just went somewhere because they did find surveillance cameras in the coffee shop and like businesses in the area of her being forcibly taken. So like to know that your daughter is taken Mm -hmm. is just fucking heartbreaking. And I think the thing that made me cry is that he just kept saying like, come and take me like drop her off I know. grab me I don't fucking care and yeah. I was just like I'm like crying right now it's yeah. like too much <laughs> thankfully because of the surveillance videos from the coffee stand and local businesses police saw that the, she was forcibly taken and didn't assume that she had run away Unfortunately, there weren't many leads until Israel Key gets back into town on February 17th, 2012. So two and a half weeks later, he's back. After returning from his vacation, Keyes begins preparing a ransom note. But first, he decides that he needs evidence that Samantha is still alive in order to receive the money. He types a note demanding... $30,000, $30,000, and he le- left this as well as the photograph of Samantha looking very much alive with a recent newspaper in a park under a memorial flyer of a dog named Albert. Then he uses Samantha's cell phone to text her boyfriend. This text read Connor Park, sign under pick of Albert. Ain't she pretty? Once police get this ransom note and the picture, everyone's like super excited because they think that she's still alive. Um, Her father deposits the money into Samantha's account, like the ransom note says. So this is why they believe he really needed the debit card, because instead of being like, oh, leave the money here, deposit here, he's like, just put it into her account and I'll take it or whatever. So he deposits the money into the account. And after receiving the ransom payment, authorities begin tracking the withdrawals from the account as he moves across the united states so he immediately like flies southwest and he just starts driving and he keeps stopping at ATMs and removing the daily limit and he's like completely masked up sunglasses he's like very careful to make sure that you can't see who he is but what he doesn't realize is that in the back of a lot of these surveillance cameras from the atm you can see his white ford focus oh So now they know the car. Finally, on March 13th, 2012, Keyes is pulled over by the Texas Rangers in Lufkin, Texas, after he was caught speeding. Authorities found dye stained bills from a bank robbery, a ski mask, a gun, and Samantha's phone and debit card. Keyes was quickly arrested and extradited back to Alaska. So, another thing about Israel Keyes is he was just a criminal by and by. Like, he liked to rob banks, he liked to commit arson, and What they find out later and how they're trying to figure out some of his crimes now is leading up to a murder right after a murder, he would go on like these criminal sprees where like he would arson or he would rob a bank. And I'm just like, I feel like nobody can even get away with bank robberies. And you're doing this right after a murder, like putting yourself out there yet again. So he thought this would throw people off of the trail or something? No, I think he was just on an adrenaline kick. So going back to the ransom note, the way that he managed to trick everyone into thinking that Samantha was still alive by that photograph was when he came back from vacation, Samantha's body had actually frozen in the cupboard while he was away. So when he got home, he thawed her body, applied makeup. Oh my God. And he actually sewed her eyes open with fishing line in order to take the picture. I want to throw up. I know. Cause what that means is that everybody is looking a picture at a picture of Samantha and she is dead. Dead.
0: Boyfriend seeing this, her family.
1: Her dad. Everybody. I mean like they were circulating it widely. So yes. So for the month and a half that Samantha was missing and until Keys was caught, her family truly believed that she was still alive and coming home. So let me tell you a little bit about his childhood just because it does relate to your story a little bit okay Um, he didn't have any like traumatizing events or anything like that that he talked about he actually said that he had a very pleasant childhood but he was one of 10 kids he was homeschooled he grew up in the mormon church originally but then his parents moved to upstate Washington and they kind of got stuck in this cult like sect of a church called the ark I mean that is a little different than I guess what you would call a normal childhood you know like he was homeschooled he really only had his own like siblings and stuff to play with but he does say in one of his interviews that at 14 he makes friends with some kids and they go out into the woods and he oh my god this is so it's too much But he ties a cat up to a tree and then shoots it. Oh, yeah. I remember reading that. Um, He thought it was great. He thought it was a laugh riot. And then when he, like, turned around and saw, like, the complete fucking terror on the kids he was with, he was, that's when he realized, like, oh, what I think is normal is not normal. But he says he started feeling that way very young. And besides that, there's not too much to say about it. He did also join the army. So he was in the military as well. He moves back. To Washington. He meets his girlfriend. They have a kid. Pretty, pretty standard.
0: How was the relationship with the girlfriend? Like, was he happy? Were they
1: happy? Were they, it was seems it a normal? Fine. Um, like, has the
0: girlfriend ever said anything?
1: No, the girlfriend hasn't come out. The daughter hasn't come out with anything. He does mention at one point that she was an alcoholic and she had an issue with that. And that's why they moved to Alaska. And he worked primarily as like a contractor slash handyman his whole life. The questioning begins. Following the arrest, he admitted to abducting Samantha Koenig from the coffee stand. He would later give police more details, though on a few conditions. He wanted to keep all of the details out of the press, like all of the more depraved sexual ones and he also wanted to be executed as quick as possible he wanted his trial and execution to not last more than a year he wanted to immediately get the fuck out of town
0: oh so you're trying to call the shots sir
1: okay he was very 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 controlling about how his narrative would play out why didn't he want any of those details to come out he didn't want his daughter to read about him and also he didn't want to become a quote True crime bullshit, unquote. So pretty much like he wanted to never be known. Very different from BTK. Yeah, you can find, I think, like over six hours of his like interviews with FBI online. He also says, I'll tell you everything you want to know. I'll give it blow by blow if you want. I have lots more stories to tell. So for months, Keys meets with the detectives and he talks through his crimes, but he was always very vague and disjointed. So like an example of this is like in one interview, say in April, he would tell them like, oh, I murdered a man in New York. And then it wouldn't be until like weeks to months later that he would talk about New York again. And he might talk about a bank robbery that he did there, or he might talk about a national park somewhere in the country. So it's like nothing was done chronological and they kind Mm -hmm. of had to sort through all of this and try to piece things together because he wouldn't actually tell you the full story. He would tell you little bits of here and there of certain things. And then later he might accidentally like bring up New York again. And then they would like make a mental note to be like, oh, he's talking about New York. So the only solid evidence he ever gave them that really led to like physical things was he did tell them where Samantha's body was. And then he also confirmed a se- like a second murder, which was the murder of the couriers. It was a couple. Besides that, everything is very, very vague. So just these three people are actually like definitively connected to him. After leaving the ransom note at Connor Park with Samantha, he actually dismembers her body and disposes the parts in Matanuska Lake which is a local ice fishing spot. He did this on three separate trips. In order not to just be lugging what looks like a shit ton of things, Mm -hmm. he did it three different times. Thankfully, they were able to, like, find her body um, after a search. So that was great. Uh, They found everything? Yeah. Yeah, they did. The divers go in, and it's, like, kind of blurred, but I believe she's in bags anyway, so you don't see anything. But the one visual thing that i did find about israel keys was Mm -hmm. a documentary produced by oxygen which i fucking hate them but because they're like too overly dramatic and they have reenactments that don't need to be there but regardless it's called method of a serial killer it's the only like visual thing i've ever seen about israel keys which was helpful in ways because yeah like the shed I had no idea how close it was to the house. There's like certain things that I was surprised actually like clocking my eyes on it or like the size of the coffee kiosk Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But overall, C C minus on documentaries. So now before I tell you about The Couriers, which is the second murder that is connected to him... I do have to tell you about another fucked up thing that he used to do. This is what, like, freaks me out about him. So in order to avoid being seen purchasing or traveling with weapons, rope, duct tape, or other murder-related items, he's used to bury or hide murder kits in various locations across the U.S. He would choose the location, use the guise of a business trip or travel there, place or bury the murder kit, And then return later to retrieve it and carry out a killing. He always paid in cash and would deactivate his cell phone while on these scouting trips so that he wouldn't be linked to the area or the kits. Authorities have already recovered two kits, one in Alaska and one in New York, that contain money, weapons, and items for disposing of bodies. Oh my gosh. He's indicated that there were other supply boxes buried across the country in Washington, Wyoming, Texas, and possibly Arizona, but none of them have been found yet. The FBI has a lot of information out there for people, and they say if you do come across one of these, to immediately call them, obviously. Mm -hmm. That in itself is fucking terrifying, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, he's just out there scouting across the fucking country, and you just never know. And so not only is everything in cash... But who is going to remember, like, you know, at the time you might be ringing him out in Home Depot and be like, this is fucking odd. But then if a murder doesn't happen until five years later, how are you ever going to remember that guy? Or even like put two and two together. The documentary, one of the FBI agents said that they had never seen somebody delay gratification to this level, you know, where it's like, you know that you're going to do something there, but maybe in a few years, maybe in a few months, like the fact that he was able to do that. So now I'm going to tell you about the couriers. In 2009, three years before Samantha, Keyes buried a toolbox about half a mile down a path in the Woodside Natural Area in Essex, Vermont. The toolbox contained a Smith & Wesson, a silencer, duct tape, zip ties, and money. Four days later, he returns to Anchorage, Alaska by airplane. Two years after he places this toolbox, in July of 2011, he flies to Chicago. He rents a car. He drives another 1,000 miles back to Vermont. So this was something else that he was, this is what makes it so infuriating to figure out who he could have murdered because he would fly somewhere, nowhere near it, rent a car, and then drive the rest of the way. So it's just, it's fucking infuriating to me. I can't even imagine like detectives. Yeah. Um, So he drives all the way back to Vermont. He recovers the toolbox he buried earlier and decides to randomly target and murder someone and then go on a bank robbing and arson spree. He finds an old abandoned farmhouse in Essex where he decides he's going to take his victims once he finds them. He initially targeted a motorist driving a yellow Volkswagen Beetle, but found the plan impractical and switched his focus to a couple instead. And I kind of wonder if he chose a Volkswagen Beetle beetle because he was like obsessed with bundy and like mm. bundy drew drove a beetle yeah um but anyway so he decides that he's gonna target a couple instead he wanders around the suburb areas in the late hours of july 8th 2011 scoping out houses and he sets his sights on eight Colbert street occupied by bill and lorraine courier he also mentions in his interview that he Refused to kill children, which also different from BTK, Mm -hmm. and he didn't ever want to kill parents of children, um, because of his own daughter or whatnot. And so, when he was scoping out houses, he could kind of tell based on the backyards, like there's no toys, like here's how it's laid out, you know, things like that. So he would like stock houses and make mental notes of things like that. Um, He always went for houses that didn't have dogs, didn't have kids, which I'm terrified now. And also, Jake, we're getting a dog. (laughs) So that's how he comes upon Bill and Lorraine and decides this is the house that he's going to invade. So the first thing he does is he cuts the phone line before breaking inside because he knows that some of them are um, attached to security alarms. So Mm -hmm. he thinks, like, let me cut this, see if anything happens. So he actually just, like, hangs around for two hours to see if anything happens if cops come or anything like that yeah. and in these two hours he figures out which room is the bedroom i'm sure by just like peeking in windows and shit like that in what he describes as a blitz attack he ambushes the couriers as they slept subduing and tying them up before forcing them into their own car keys then drives the couple to the abandoned essex farmhouse he takes bill to the basement Lorraine attempts to escape, only to be recaptured by him. Bill also tries to escape, but Keyes also gets him again, and in a fit of rage, at the loss of control, he shoots him to death. He then sexually assaults Lorraine and strangles her to death. He leaves both of the bodies in the farmhouse basement, intending to return later and burn down the farmhouse, but he never does. His plan to go on a bank robbing spree also goes awry when the courier's car experiences some, quote, serious mechanical issues so he abandons it. Before his trip back home, he goes into the White National Monument Forest, in New Hampshire, and disposes of the items that he took from the courier house in a suitcase that he sets on fire. He then drives up to upstate New York and sets up a murder kit with the weapons used in the courier murder. So that murder kit that they found in New York mm-hmm. had the guns that, was, that were used in the courier murder. So he just like sets up a second toolkit up there oh my
0: god
1: so after he does that he returns home to anchorage unbeknownst to him until he's actually caught and they tell him about it in october of that year the farmhouse was demolished and um the bodies were taken to a local landfill and after the confession they did months and months of searches trying to find their bodies in the landfill but they were never recovered how old were they They were in their, like, late 40s, early 50s. Mm. They didn't have kids. They both worked at the local university. Oh, so this is what I wanted to tell you. So for the longest time, because not until he confesses to it in 2012, so I guess it's like a year later, it's not that much, which is great, but they were just missing. They were just straight up missing this whole time. The only thing of a struggle at the house was that he broke into – the garage window so there was like glass and obviously somebody broke in but there was no other evidence just that glass at the scene of the crime and they had no fucking idea where the fuck these people went they found oh the car that he abandoned because they he took their own car to mm-hmm. bring them to the farmhouse and then he abandoned it after it had like mechanical issues but that's it it's like um, if he never confessed to it they would have never oh ever known anything about what happened to them yeah And you know, when he would go to these interviews, he gets to leave the prison, he gets to have like real food, and they would get him coffees, they would give him cigars to smoke and stuff like that. So he did want to keep talking to them for as much as possible. But once they would be like, you're not giving us anything, like we're not pulling you out of prison anymore, then he would actually give them better evidence oh my gosh i like i can't i can't i know i know although only three people have ever been confirmed as victims the fbi believe he was responsible for 11 people in one interview he claimed that he killed quote less than 12 and there is one other clue as to why they believe 11 So on December 2nd, 2012, Israel Keyes manages to conceal a razor blade in his jail cell, and he uses it to take his own life. He left behind a note, which offered no insight about additional victims, but read more as a, quote, ode to murder. And this is like a sidebar, but I've said it before. Don't trust a man that writes poetry because he wrote it all like in prose. It was just like a poem about fucking the glory and what? beauty of murder. Yeah. Um, I believe that it's out there. So you could read it if you want to look it up. Oh my gosh.
0: I'm gonna look it up.
1: He kills himself. But then in 2020, Alaskan authorities released the drawing of tw- of eleven skulls and one pentagram, which they claim was drawn by Keys and left as part of a suicide note. The skulls were drawn in his own blood and it was captioned with three words. We are one. According to the FBI, this is the most suggested acknowledgement by Israel Keyes of the 11 lives that he took. FBI has actually released a detailed timeline of Israel Keyes' travels and a lot of additional information that you can find right on the FBI government website um, because they want to see if they can find the eight additional people they believe he murdered. Keyes told them in one of their interviews that if he didn't tell them exactly who it was, they would never find them. Um, He even told them that one of the, one of his victims came up as an accidental death. Um, But he never told a person that name, but like he, he saw that somebody that he actually murdered came up as like an accidental death. So he knows like, he'll never be like pegged for it. And he didn't tell them who it was. Yeah. The only other person that they think they have a name for is a woman named Deborah Feldman. And she was in New Jersey. She was definitely living on the streets. And the only reason that they think he had something to do with it is because they found like deep in the analogs of his computer that he searched her name. And when they found her, it was just like this very, very little known. There was no press about her murder, or her mm-hmm. death or anything. So it's like, why would somebody in Alaska think to look up this woman's name in New Jersey? Whoa. And when they presented her picture to him, it was the only time that he Got really uncomfortable and weird, you know. So, they do believe that she's one of his victims, but they don't have any concrete evidence. So, that is Israel Keys. And yeah, I think the, I mean, if he never took Samantha, which was in his own backyard, and then reached out with the ransom note, he could have done this. Mm-hmm. I feel like he was just really starting up, you know? Yeah. He could have done that for a lot longer. And they think it's 11. It could be more. I don't think so. I'm sure it is 11 because why would he say like less than 12? Like, why wouldn't he want to be like, oh, no, it's like 40 or whatever. Like, good luck finding them. When they asked him, why did you do this? He said, why not? Why not? Mm -hmm. And that's it. He didn't. I mean, he did sexually assault all of his victims, men, women, whatever. Yep. Oh, He didn't like to talk about it. He didn't like talking about those details Mm -hmm. and that's why he didn't want the press to know anything. Cause he didn't want, he truly didn't want the information getting out there for his daughter, but then also he was very much against, which is so weird because he did research a lot of serial killers, but he Mm -hmm. was very much against the like whole celebrity serial killer bullshit.
0: Yeah. I remember too, on the audio that I listened to, it was like a day when somehow his name got leaked and he was like Mm. so pissed off he was like yeah I'm not giving you guys any more information like I've I've worked with you I thought that you would do this for me but
1: yeah when the couriers gets uh, attributed to him in Vermont they do release his name and he stops talking to the FBI for I think two or three months because he's so pissed off that he got linked to it and that his name was out there and this is just like a random like just creepy fucking thing that also <laughs> you got came more of creepiness, this michelle well, you yeah kind of kind of like a side note okay so let me just read it to you but this is just like something that the original poster didn't even know related to israel keys at all
0: oh my god so
1: I didn't know this, but you probably know this. So I guess Jezebel does like a scariest story submission thing around Halloween. Every year around Halloween, they ask readers to submit their scariest true stories. This user had submitted it. And let me just read it to you verbatim. So the title of it is What's in the Bucket? Oh, my God and it starts. I submitted a story last year, and my friend, upon reading it, called me up and essentially said, that's not a scary story. This is a scary story. And boy, was he right. So with his permission, here it is, Names and Places, Names and Places Obscured. A few years back, Alex moved with his family to their dream multi-acre property in upstate New York that backed up into a national state forest. Alex and his partner, Joan, were looking forward to the peace, quiet, and security that they thought would come with the move. They had two kids, also thrilled to get out of their crappy rental in town, and they even got a dog. During their first fall, things took a turn for the disturbing. The the boys had made friends with three kids of the nearest neighbor, Lupe. On an afternoon in question, Lupe was watching the kids while Alex and Joan were finishing up some renovation work. She brings the kids back unexpectedly in the early afternoon. She then asks Alex to come down to the woods with her while the kids stay in the house with Joan. She was very insistent about the kids staying in the house. Lupe, normally very calm and easygoing, is visibly worried. She shows Alex the hole the kids and dog had been digging down at the edge of the woods. They'd found a plastic bucket, a five-gallon model from a big box hardware store, two-ish feet down. The kids had gotten the lid and some of the sides uncovered before Lupe found out what they were doing. She had no idea what it could be, but sensibly did not want the kids anywhere near it. Alex calls the cops, but this being the country, it's going to be a while before anyone gets there. The dispatcher asks Alex to give a description so she can work out how much of a priority the call is. There are no visible wires, nor is the barrel unusually wet, so they decide it probably isn't a bomb. She tells Alex not to not to touch the bucket but to stay there and keep any people or wildlife from disturbing it more. The cops arrive about 2 hours later. One officer talks to Alex while the other pries the lid off the bucket. Yes, probably they should have done more checking to be sure it wasn't an explosive, but small town PD. The officer at the bucket suddenly starts repeating what the fuck over and over. Alex and officer 2 walk over to see what's up. Officer 1 pulls the following out of the bucket: duct tape, zip ties, safety goggles, like the kind you would wear if using a saw in a chem- or in a chemistry lab, a gun scope, a large hunting knife, a dark-haired wig, and a bundle of something soft wrapped in plastic bags. The cops promptly radio for backup, which shows up in under 10 minutes. They escort Alex back up to the house where Lupe, Joan, and the kids are all starting to freak out, as is Alex. All the police in the 20-mile radius arrive, local cops, sheriff deputies, highway patrol, everyone. They tape off the entire back part of the yard and some distance into the woods. No one is telling the family anything. They won't even let Lupe or her kids go back to the house until late that night with the police escort and armed cops are roaming around both properties. The next day, even more law enforcement appear, including the freaking FBI. It is suggested that the family find somewhere else to stay for a few days while the law enforcement work the site. Alex and the kids are questioned are questioned by several law enforcement personnel, including federal agents. Some questions they ask Alex, have you noticed evidence of people accessing your property without your knowledge, like footprints or discarded cigarette butts? Have you noticed evidence of anyone trying to force entry into your house, broken locks or windows, cut screens? Do you know of anyone who has gone missing in the area in the last few months or years? When they learn that Alex has recently moved in and that the house was vacant for several years before they bought it, they ask if he's noticed any disturbed ground, other than the bucket, I guess, around the property, especially in any of the outbuildings. Then about a week later, everyone leaves. Alex and the family are told to just go back home. First thing they do when they get home is head for Lupe's checking up on her. She too has been questioned, as have her kids. Since Alex is new to the area, he asks Lupe about the missing person question. She says she can't think of anyone who's gone missing in the area in the last five years. She's been in her house, but she's still deeply shaken, as is Alex. He heads down to the bottom of the yard to see what's happened. Law enforcement has torn him about 10 meters square of the yard. In the woods, they've marked trees at seemingly random intervals, and they've dug up part of the root cellar under a shed. To this day, Alex doesn't know what law enforcement was looking for. He's called and asked for updates, but they've been told that activity on his property is related to an ongoing investigation, and they couldn't share information. His kids now all but refuse to play in the yard, not that he and Joan really want them to anymore. Alex chained all the locks, added multiple new ones, security lights, and an alarm system. The entire family suffers from nightmares about the incident. Joan and Alex even bought and learned to use guns, which are now kept in a safe in their bedroom. Lupe and her kids moved away as soon as the lease was up, but Alex and Joan couldn't afford to sell. All they can do is lock up tight, watch the woods, wonder who left the bucket on the property, and worry about what to do if that person comes back. They wrote that story in, completely unaware that that is the bucket in upstate New York that is connected to Israel Keys. And for some godforsaken reason, the police never tell them, like, at least, you know, he's captured. He's not coming back or anything. But yeah. Like completely unconnected. This person just wrote in like this freaky fucking thing of like a bucket being found in her friend's backyard. And it wasn't until it was published like that people were like, that is a hundred percent related to oh Israel Keys. Gosh. That has to be the bucket in upstate New York that they like located.
0: So his kits, were they all like that? Like because when he started the story, I just imagined like little tool kits just buried in the dirt three I'll feet under. A picture. No, I. <laughs> i send you a picture. I don't
1: want to see a picture of it. It's it. It's actually less menacing. Am I? To is see the, the wig going to be on top? No, no wig.
0: <laughs> Ew! I can see a preview of it. I'm scared. I'm scared.
1: So it's ah! pretty, <laughs> so it's pretty much like the five gallon orange Home Depot buckets,
0: wow. and then he
1: fills them with stuff like in this is once again like what the documentary showed me that I had made even worse in my head because I'm thinking also like a toolbox
0: like mm-hmm. like a little like first aid tool like a yeah tent, you yeah know? isn't that crazy though can you imagine say if he never got caught and you're living in that house or on mm-hmm. some location where his little toolkit is and you just mm-hmm. see a man like walk like when would he get these would he get them at night when the family's not home like
1: yeah. And it's like, he might have not even been targeting that family. That's just where he put it, you know, because it was like near a, par- a national state park, so like where he used to go a lot and look for people. Yeah. Was like more secluded places. And they do believe that some of the other victims are people that went missing at national parks. Cause that's where he used to go. Oh my gosh. Um, and they kind of assume that the person that he claims Got labeled as an accident, but he knows he's the one that killed them. It must have been at a national park. Like, you know, he might have broke their neck and then thrown them over a cliff. So it looked like they just fell or something like that. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, my goodness. What more he would have said? How much more time would have just passed by naturally while they're trying to figure things out? If his name and all of that stuff didn't leak
1: in the press. I know because it's after his name leaks in Vermont that. He straight up tells them like, I'm going to have to try and figure something else out now. Like, I think Nancy Grace did something and she's like, he might have murdered up to like 50 people, a hundred people, who knows? And it's like, why do people like to like aggrandize it, you know, wow. and make it like more spectacular? It's like, he's already a garbage human that killed probably realistically like 11 people, if not three. And you're mm-hmm. trying to make him like the biggest thing since sliced bread for some reason. So how old would his daughter be now? I have to say she has to be in her like late teens around oh there. Oh my gosh. Do you Ten think years she'll ago? ever
0: say anything?
1: Who knows? I mean, that's the thing. It's like for the longest time, I don't think anybody even heard the name Israel Keys. I feel like it wasn't until like the last few years with podcasts that everyone's like, this is the serial killer that you never even knew existed. Like he just, yeah. he just started getting a lot of attention which you know what at the same time it's like you know what he didn't fucking want it so let's fucking do it you know mm, yeah <laughs> like whatever he doesn't want if exactly. btk wanted a lot of tension i say we never talk about him again but since he w- he wanted to stay under the radar and not like embarrass his family it's like well you did things to embarrass your family that's scary yeah he's frightening but you know what thankfully he's dead now so that's good He's not yeah, but out I'm there. just thinking,
0: who's, who's doing that now? Who's the next one that's working behind the scenes? Well,
1: I feel like the same way about, I don't know if you've ever looked into the Long Island serial killer, but that's also another one that's just never been caught. And I'm just like, ugh, are you multiple people? Are you one person?
0: When was the last kill on that one?
1: I think early 2000s but they've they never been caught oh my gosh I know well it's just like like with Israel keys if you don't have an MO or anything it's like you could be a serial killer but how would you connect them all if it's, there's not like the you know the signature thing it's just it's too it's too much for me
0: mm-hmm I don't, it's like, I would, not obviously I'll, I'll never be able to be a murderer, but I'm just like, <laughs> I'm li- like, I would literally think my DNA would just sh- like shed over yes. everything. Yeah. I feel like even if I breathe, the DNA is mm-hmm. there. Evidence. My hair will fall out. DNA. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that's <laughs> why I hope it's like, obviously in the seventies, there was such late sixties, early seventies, there was like a huge uptick of serial killers. Yeah. But I don't know if like nowadays people, maybe we don't know about them. Maybe they're smarter. But at the same time, it's like, how do you get away with anything? There's cameras literally everywhere. I know. That's Israel Keys.
0: And pretty much Michelle's like, if you want a good night's sleep tonight, don't look up the photos.
1: No. Don't. We were were discussing possibly posting them, but they're easily found. And also, I don't want to scar anybody that isn't a true crime person yeah you can also find the surveillance of Mm -hmm. her being taken at the coffee house and you could also um watch his interviews with fbi Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff out there
0: yeah same with the Dennis raider there's
1: a lot of Mm -hmm. oh man all right let's not and let's get over this (laughs) gosh
0: I don't know I can't even do a formal let's not also I'm thinking is about that the note the ransom note
1: I know I know let's not like celebritize I don't think that that's a real word like serial killers though Mm -hmm. I do I've seen this meme go around a lot where it's like why do we name them cool names like it should be like the stinky booger head or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's true to extent where it's like, you're giving them more power by like the BTK, like feeding into this like glory that they think they have.
0: Have you ever seen the people that wear like serial killer shirts? Yes. Let's not do that. There you go. There you
1: go. Listen.
0: Break it down for them, Michelle. Listen. <laughs>
1: Uh you just you know you don't need a photo of Ted Bundy on your shirt to be an edge lord. You just don't.
0: Thanks for listening guys. We hope If you have someone in your life that is similar to this, you need to get away. <laughs> all right we'll talk to you guys next week stay safe out there we love you and don't forget to follow us on instagram
1: and facebook and all the places we Mm -hmm. love you so much big hugs we'll see you next week see ya
0: Let's Not Podcast is part of The Dorkening, which is a network dedicated for podcasters, a group of shows helping each other to grow, share ideas, collaborate, and innovate. You can check out more at thedorkening.com. And thank you to our sponsors,
1: Deadly Grounds Coffee. Deadly Grounds Coffee is fresh roasted here in New England by skilled master roasters in a unique way that allows the true flavor of the bean to come through. It's coffee the way it was meant to be. Fresh, bold, delicious. It's coffee to die for. Check them out at DeadlyGroundsCoffee.com.